You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Here we go. Jackson for his tight end, brought in by Mark Andrews, who escapes and goes all the way for the touchdown. Intercepted, picked up by Thomas. Earl Thomas with a foot race. Brown won't get him. That will be six. Running a little option. Jackson keeps. Jackson breaks the tackle. He's right to the pylon, and it's a touchdown. Welcome to another episode of Pod Like a Raven. I'm Antonio Barbera, talking about the Super Bowl. Y'all watched it. Y'all sat there, watched the game, watched the commercials, watched the halftime. And I, I'll tell you who I watched it with was who's sitting next to me right now, and that's Tim Horsey. Tim came over to my uh, my place to watch. Thanks for thanks for joining, first of all. And uh, did you have a good uh, good time? I did. Yeah, uh, buffalo chicken dip is still coming out of my pores. But a- outside of that, I had a lovely time over at the Barbera household watching a, a pretty fantastic game, in my opinion, which I think we'll get into. And joining us from the West Coast, unfortunately, could not make it to to my place for the game is J- Chase Evans. Chase, how what did you think of the Super Bowl? How you feeling? Oh, it was great. I thoroughly enjoyed this game. I think. Uh, variety of factors. I think a number one, the New England Patriots not being involved, um, just made it a really pleasant experience. I didn't really care who won. I was rooting for the Niners for most of the game. Uh, then the Chiefs started their comeback, and then I was rooting for the Chiefs. Uh, it was just a pleasant viewing experience. I uh, didn't have my emotions wrecked one way or the other. Uh, <laughs> you know, with the Patriots not being there, uh, it was great. And um, and then, yeah, uh, excited to break this game down with y'all. Kansas City Chiefs, in case you were listeners or living under a rock, Kansas City Chiefs win the Super Bowl 31-20 to over the San Francisco 49ers in Miami. 
We're going to recap the Super Bowl. We're going to go over our prop bets that we that we mentioned last week, things that we love, the game line and MVP and such. Uh, hopefully got a good something. Something's bothering Jace this week, so we'll ask him about that. Run through some Ravens awards because a couple of players and personnel won some, uh, took some hardware on Saturday night. Uh, and then maybe uh, just tease out the offseason a little bit and what we'll be looking forward to over the, the long months before the NFL season kicks back off next September. So let's first talk about this Super Bowl. Uh, you know, we can jump in with different things. My, my first thing is just, we, <laughs> it's, it's easy to, you know, hindsight, 2020. Uh, but we talked last week, and one of the biggest things that I think all three of us agreed with was who gets the ball first, who sets the tempo, who scores the first touchdown. That was the thing. And, I, I'll, you know, I'm proud to say that the Chiefs got the ball first. The Chiefs scored the first touchdown, but they did not control the majority of this game. And then had the the Mahomes magic late, the best player on the field, doing what what he does best. So let's dive into first first impressions of this game. What did you guys think of uh, how both teams opened up? I thought it was interesting that Patrick Mahomes probably played the worst game of his career as a starter. Until the time came where he needed to make, he, he absolutely had to make plays, and he did that. Um, I thought overall you could just tell, you know, a lot of people 10 10 at half, maybe it's not as high flying and as exciting as you would want it to be. Uh, but Super Bowls are always cagey like that. And I think it just showed the quality of these two teams as well. Um, just the fact that they were so, so evenly matched and the matchups fit so perfectly that. I mean, first general impression where these were two titans just trading blows back and forth, even if the best guy on the field, Mahomes, wasn't necessarily having his best game. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Um, I thought this was yeah a magnificent game, and I think it speaks to how special Patrick Mahomes is. Uh, one of my colleagues, Dan Walken, was at the game and wrote a really nice column about kind of the inevitability of Patrick Mahomes, how it kind of felt like once they got that rolling, um, it seemed like the Chiefs were going to win. And I had no doubt, like at a certain, pretty much once he hit the Tyreek Hill uh, pass, he kind of, kind of, you don't want to call it a game changer because they're necessarily, because they're still down 10 at that point. But with a, a little over eight minutes to go, I believe, you know, uh, third and 15. And he just, he finally connects. Um and then from there, just some beautiful throws down the stretch. That being said, as good as Mahomes was, it's still kind of astounding to me that the 49ers did not win this game. It, we talked about, and, and, and Tim, when you're last week, when you uh, we were talking, breaking this down, you talked about like, you know, the defensive advantages. I was talking, it seemed like the classic every time we get these championships games where it's like a top defense versus a top offense, the top defense seems to always win. But and it played out perfectly for them. Ten point lead and Chiefs are driving and then Patrick Mahomes throws a pick. I actually think I told a co-worker I thought the game was over. That seemed like because it just seemed like they were just going to run and run and run. And that was going to be it. And they were just going to sit on this ten point lead. And we'll get into that, how it didn't happen, because <laughs> there's much to dive into there. Uh but yeah, I for Mahomes specifically, but the Chiefs as a whole to kind of 
well, frankly, it seemed like they were on the mat, you know, throw a pick driving down 10 in the fourth quarter with, you know, under 10 minutes to go. It seemed like they just didn't have enough time. And then they win this game by 11. Incredibly. It was just a sudden turnaround, a stunning offensive explosion. And I think just showed how special Patrick Mahomes really is. Yeah, I want to I want to steal this. I'm taking this from Chris Long on the Ryan Rosillo podcast, who I mention all the time. But but he, he brought up a great point that this. Chiefs offense plays like the Golden State Warriors, where mm. no lead is too big for them. They can score at any moment, at any time, and Mahomes kind of loves having his back up against the wall, and that's when he thrives. And, and you can see that this offense is almost, and you know, I don't want to put too much hyperbole on this, but they're changing the game almost in that way, um, where even up, up 10 with eight minutes left or whatever it was, <laughs> they're still very, very much in this game because they can come back at any moment. That being said, it was a choke job of the highest order by the San Francisco 49ers. We're going to get into Kyle Shanahan because I think he deserves a share of the blame. I think Jimmy G deserves a share of the blame. But you point out that defense, Jace, and as good as this uh, Chiefs offense is, you can't be given up 21 points in the fourth quarter of a Super Bowl. You can't do it. You were after Mahomes all night. Richard Sherman, who loves to talk a lot of ish about how good he is and goes after every single quote-unquote troll on Twitter about his his <laughs> lack of coverage skills, he gets torched by Sammy Watkins on a huge play. Those things cannot happen in a championship game, in a Super Bowl. Um, and this Niners defense, who has been so consistent all year long, and frankly, were great for most of the game. You know, the obviously the antithesis of Patrick Mahomes collapsed at the worst possible moment and and it was one of the main reasons for their downfall here i mean the 49ers defense has been so strong all season i I don't want to sort of nitpick as as to why you know they fell apart late in the game when they were able to hold the chiefs the entire game but the one stat i pulled out was the total plays ran by the end of this game the chiefs had run 75 plays and the 49ers only 54. So Tim, it it may have been something as simple as they were just they were out of gas. They had run, you know, they had held for so long that eventually, you know, if they were on the field longer than uh, than the than the Chiefs, that they, their defense was going to get tired by the end of the game, especially when they opened it up and and Mahomes started throwing the ball downfield. I do want to go back to your note about uh, the Chiefs being like Golden State; they can score all the time. You're right. And because of that, I want to look at a couple of moments before this game got to the fourth quarter and all these points came up where San Francisco should have recognized, and I'm sure they knew it, but should have really paid attention that the Chiefs were going to score at some point. Points were going to come, and two instances that I think we need to talk about before we really dive into that fourth quarter. The end of the first half, the 49ers' last possession, (laughs) and their first possession at the start of the second half. Where when this game is 10-all, uh, so if we look at the end of the first half, first, first and foremost, the f- Chiefs basically uh, get to fourth down, and there's like, I think, a minute and a half left. The 49ers have three timeouts, and they don't use them, and they let 40 seconds just run off the clock. They end up getting the ball at the 59-second mark. You have to try to score. I mean, we make fun of the Patriot way and Bill Belichick, all the his favorite thing to do, and they every announcer loves talking about it. 
You score at the end of the half, and then you score at the beginning of the half. And that's how you take control of a game where you need to score points against a top offense. Yeah, quick note on that, too. Kyle Shanahan said after the game, we liked where we were at at 10-10. I'm sorry. <laughs> against this Chiefs offense, you cannot like where you're at, quote-unquote. And when your GM, John Lynch, is up in the booth <laughs> screaming for a timeout, doing the timeout symbol, they caught him on camera, and then in the second half, he's down on the field. And guess what? I bet part of the reason was because he's thinking, if I need to scream in this guy's ear, I'm going to do it because I need to do whatever I can to win the Super Bowl. Not that I agree with him, and Antonio, you and I were talking about never really liked that move from the GM or the owner being like, down imagine, on the side. Imagine your boss coming over to your cubicle and just, just watching you yeah. do, your, do your work over your shoulder. Exactly. It's not, it's not the best strategy, in my opinion, but he almost felt like he had to do that because of this baffling, baffling approach to the end of the first half. Yeah, I don't, and I feel like the the sort of excuse to this has been, well, the Chiefs had their timeouts too, and so if they didn't get a first down, the Chiefs could have scored. That's going to happen all the time. If you don't succeed, the <laughs> other team could succeed. I like, I get it. You're in a close game. You need to take a lead. You need to score at every opportunity. And worst case scenario, you run the ball a few times. You were getting big chunks of yardage all night. That's how you can run the clock out, is run it a few times, not let the entire clock run down, and then still kind of try to score, which they did for like two of the plays, and then they gave up at the end of the first half after the Kittle uh, offensive pass interference, (laughs) and then they just kneel it. Just so mismanaged. And then at the start of the second half, we know what the Ravens would have done in this situation. Uh, San Francisco gets the ball, drives it down to the KC 24, and they have a fourth down and two. You've been getting five yards a pop. I think they averaged five to six yards per carry on, for the entire game. 6.4. You got a fourth and two. Run the ball. Run it with your dominant offense and try to score a touchdown in that situation as opposed to kicking the field goal. They were up 13 to 10. I mean, look, I get, you know, you, they ended up with a 10-point lead, but you need to score against a vaunted offense every opportunity you get. Field goals need to be touchdowns. Kneel downs need to be, you know, field goals. And those are my two big bones to pick with with Shanahan and how they how the 49ers approach this game. Basically. Yeah, just quickly, Jace, before you get in here, I think the the analytics revolution that we everybody talks about can be a bit overblown. But we've talked about it all year. Harbaugh hiring the 25 year old economics major who can break down these live probabilities as they're going and, you know, relying on that a lot. The. In Seattle, you want to go for it, Lamar. Hell yeah, I want to go for it, coach. Like that that moment. You're in the Super Bowl. You got to the Super Bowl because you trust in these guys and your guys have been able to execute all year long, especially in the running game. Now, that 6.4 average I think is a little overblown. I thought the Chiefs on some of the normal runs, like you're kind of up the gut stuff, I thought the Chiefs defense actually did okay in those situations. Um, Debo. Antonio's favorite non-Raven, Debo Samuel, had a couple of nice reverse plays for like three three rushes for like 50-some yards, which I think drags that average up a lot. But that being said, Shanahan, you've been lauded all year long for these complex running schemes that nobody's able to stop. You've got an incredible blocking tight end and a great offensive line. You've got a three-headed monster at running back. And you know Patrick Mahomes is going to wake up at some point, which he did. I... I Look, it's hard to say bury them because we just talked about it's almost impossible to bury the Chiefs the way they can score, but you have to at least attempt to do it. 
I know hindsight's twenty twenty, but I thought that was a horrible decision. Yeah, I'll admit I didn't think too much of this one at the time because um, I was just like, ah, oh, get down there, Jimmy G is your quarterback, get points on the board. And I think that was compounded by, um, you know, Fred Warner's pick on Mahomes on the next possession, which. You know, we don't see that kind of mistake from Mahomes a lot. He just didn't see the linebacker. That's pretty much what it was. And Warner dropped the coverage. And, uh, Mahomes just didn't see him. Uh, clearly is what happened. And uh, and then they go up 10. They score on that that drive. So I, th- I, I get what you're saying. I didn't think, but I'll admit, I just didn't think much of it at the time. I think... My qualms with what the 49ers did in this game uh, <laughs> lies more in the fourth quarter after they took that 10-point uh, lead. And like I said, I thought this was um, game over uh, w- when they get that Mahomes interception in the fourth quarter um, as the Chiefs are driving to possibly cut it to, you know, a three-point game. Um, I have to ask... Uh, what did you guys think happened in this fourth quarter? Was it a full on Tim, I believe you were used the word choke or collapse. <laughs> um, but yeah, just how much blame do we assign? I guess specifically Kyle Shanahan for just, uh, you know, they get a few first downs after that Mahomes pick uh, the second interception. Uh, well, one first down, they took three, three Oh four off the clock. Uh, on five plays, 17 yards, when they get the ball with 11.57 to go. Yeah, and here's here's what here's the problem. Kyle Shanahan gets a lot of blame for the 28-3 when he was the offensive coordinator of the Falcons. They ended up losing that Super Bowl, obviously, to the Pats and an incredible comeback from the Pats, and his play calling was questionable. Um, this stat comes from Ed Werder. The, the 49ers had 14 plays with a lead in the second half tonight. 14 Second-best rushing team in football behind the Baltimore Ravens. Rushing guru, brand-new system, all the stuff we've talked about. Out of those 14 plays when you have a lead, when you're trying to kill clock, Garoppolo dropped back nine times out of the 14. I'm t- I, for, I hate for it. A guy, <laughs> for a guy that you clearly don't trust from what you saw at the end of the first half when you didn't let him take a shot, and then Spagnola, the defensive coordinator for the Chiefs, loads the box. So you say, we're just going to try and throw it over you. But you already don't trust this guy to do that. Think of some other scheme. Think of an outside zone play. Maybe a little RPO with Garoppolo. He's not fast by any means, but he's certainly not slow. He could make a little bit of a move there. I mean, you talk about this. You talk about this. Uh, these drives here, Jace. First of all, here's what happens. After that interception from Patty Mahomes, and we're talking about, okay, this game might be over, 10 points uh, midway through the fourth quarter, whatever it is. Five yard, or six-yard rush for Raheem Mostert, second and four. Then Garoppolo, short over the middle to Kittle, your one guy that you really, really trust for 12 yards. Great. Mostert, one-yard dive, second and nine. That's when they start panicking. Uh, an incomplete pass to Debo Samuel. Then there's the penalty, the false start, which this is where you can start talking about the blame coming off of Shanahan a little bit because some of those penalties were just horrible. Then another third and 14. Now Garoppolo scrambles right, uh, and he's stuck for three yards, and then they have to punt it away. The next drive, Chiefs go down 10 plays in two minutes and 40 seconds, by the way. They score a touchdown. <laughs> it's a three-point game, San Francisco three-point lead. 
Another five-yard rush to start, start it off. Second and five. You're feeling pretty good. Two incomplete passes in a row from Garoppolo. What are we doing? I mean, <laughs> you, you clearly are setting, you're setting the pace on first down with these great runs. Just stick to it. If you can run it down their throat, run it down their throat, and, and don't panic when you get one one-yard rush. That's going to happen. It's not going to be five, six yards at a clip every time, but you're wearing down the defensive front, and, and when you do that, one of those is going to break when you are that good at running the football. Um, I think those two drives right there just really were backbreakers um, in, in terms of the play calling and then some of the penalties problems and the execution as well. But, I mean – it's, it's funny you have this narrative as it happens. Here's all this blame for Shanahan. And then people want to push back against that narrative of, wait, you don't need to give him that much blame. It's somewhere in the middle. But I think I'll put it this way. I think he's going to lay awake at night for the next couple weeks at least because he knows <laughs> that he could have called a way different game. I, I agree with you, Tim, but I don't think I if we had to put like percentages, I don't think I would put as much on Shanahan as just they had a, a, a sequence of really poor execution sure. at the most important moments of that fourth quarter. They were doing a, a pretty good job of containing the Chiefs all game, and then on a third and 15, they let the Chiefs' best playmaker just basically get wide open. Uh, they, yeah, were, they were keeping their stunning. eyes on him the entire game. They were sort of doing the cover and like shade a second defender, and on the the biggest play basically at to that point he was barely covered by the by one guy i think they had a safety on him it was very strange coverage and he was wide open uh later in the game you know who's the next threat is kelsey when they threw the ball into the end zone to kelsey and there's the the pass interference because the guy didn't turn his head like you know you you you're taught you know they're gonna call a flag on that every single time if you don't turn and play the ball that was uh poor execution you mentioned sherman Early, he's your best cover guy. He gets beat in a crucial moment. Uh, and then the last one, on, and those, most of those are defensive, right? Mm-hmm. Like where it's not really Shanahan's, you know, he doesn't obviously have as much control. And then finally, Garoppolo has a chance to win this game, and we'd be talking about something completely different. Missed him. Missed mm-hmm. him on a really well-designed and called play by Shanahan, where he had uh-huh. Sanders had beaten two defenders and was open. You want to win a Super Bowl with a quarterback who done pretty well three quarters of the game. You got to hit it. You know, you got to hit that deep throw. And it's we're talking about the Chiefs, you know, d- defensive collapse instead of uh, instead of Shanahan. So I, I think it, if two of those plays, two of those what is five plays that I mentioned, sure. go the other way. If they split, you know, the difference on these crucial plays, they, they probably win the game. And that that. Bomb just missed to Sanders. I mean, if they hit on that, that's one of like the three greatest plays in Super Bowl history. And, and you're right, it was there. I he was open, and they just you know but just t- had too. Tim's much. point is well taken, though. That as a coach, you want to eliminate all those situations as much as you possibly can. And here's what you can do to eliminate tough plays that your team has to make: work the clock so that fewer of those plays are even <laughs> available to the to the Chiefs' offense. Well, That's you know. It's, it's everything. Yeah, we we talk about analytics and how the game has gotten more complicated and this and this diverse running scheme that I keep mentioning and, and the little nuances of the game. Sometimes you can't overthink it. You know where you can dominate this team. Do not get discouraged by. Don't become the armchair quarterback. 
Don't become every fan that you've sat next to that the first time it's a one-yard rush, they're like, you have to abandon the run. They can't run the ball today. Be patient with it and, and know that you're going to be able to execute. We Everybody's laughing at me because they know that fan. I'm, th- I'm trying to think of which Ravens M&T Bank well, section of the stadium I'm thinking of. All of them. Would scream that all out. of them. There's at least one. It's it's first and ten, and they run it up the gut. And the one time, the number one rushing offense in the league, they don't get it, and it's like second and nine. It's like, why are you just running it up the gut on first down? Because guess what? A lot of the time that works. I just <laughs> – I think it was overthought a little bit, and it's weird to me that when you clearly don't trust Jimmy and you telegraph that to the other team based on what happened at the end of the first half, then you're going to try and dink and dunk them over the like when they pack in the, the when they pack the box and try and stop your run game. That's when you're going to get cute in the biggest moment of your season. That's when you're going to get cute. I, if I'm a 49ers fan, I'm in, I'm infuriated today at a number of aspects. Um, but, but I, I don't know. It, it's, it's just frustrating to watch as somebody who has been there before watching his team get way too cute in big moments real quickly though. <laughs> on the other side, we got to say a big congratulations to a guy that had a nickname that I didn't know about playoff. Damien. Playoff Damien, according to Joe Buck, that's a thing. Damien Williams, uh, apparently everybody calls him Playoff Damien, so we should start doing that now. First player ever with 100-plus rush yards, plus a rushing and receiving touchdown in the Super Bowl. Um, that's from CBS Sports when that when uh, that came across for Damien. I thought he probably, I mean, stepping up in the big moment, the quarterback's always going to get the Super Bowl MVP. But I thought Damian Williams had a case. I thought he was great all night in both the, the running game and the receiving game. There was one play, too, where Nick Bosa, who had a great game as well, that rookie is going to have um, a hell of a career for the 49ers or otherwise if he decides to move on. Where Damian Williams has this nice play where he's running out a swing pass to the left and Bosa's about to beat the left tackle and he just hits him in the shoulder. Perfect chip block. Gets out in the flat. Mahomes has him wide open. Makes a play for a first down as well. It's just an all-around great performance from Damian Williams. I thought I thought he was uh, brilliant on Sunday night. Yeah, I uh, do, do. We uh, <laughs> we could use that as our launch pad into discussing the MVP. Was you know Patrick Mahomes uh, a prop bet? I think all of us were fans of. I agree with you, Tim. I I definitely saw a case for Damian Williams, um, but I also think you know. When the plays had to be made, it was Patrick Mahomes. The, the, the 44 yards to Tyreek Hill was an awesome, regardless of how open Hill was on the play. <laughs> and uh, likewise, you know, that was a, the, the pass to Sammy Watkins was just beautiful down the sideline there to set up their the go-ahead touchdown uh, late. Um, but, uh, yeah, certainly a case for Damian Williams. I, I saw that stat you shared, too, on Twitter, and that's astounding to me. That it seems like someone would have done like Roger Craig, maybe, some one of these dual-threat guys in the 80s. But, yeah, I was very surprised to see that. So I'm not surprised it was Patrick Mahomes, but uh, I, if it wasn't him, it would, should have been Williams. But I think Mahomes I just, is probably the right call. I, I think he would have needed... Williams would have needed ridiculous numbers to to take the MVP from Mahomes. I think a lot of times this is it becomes a season award too for certain players on certain teams. Mahomes would have had to play terribly in a win in a Chiefs win uh, for him to not get it. Basically, so I, that's why I loved the the prop bet as much as I did because I I thought it'd be nearly impossible mm-hmm. for for anybody but Mahomes to get it. Uh, I'm gonna look at some of my others. Speaking of Damian Williams. Uh, 
boy, I lost my first prop on the like I think the first offensive play from scrimmage, so that was nice. Uh, I had the Danny Williams <laughs> less under four yards on his first rush, and you just saw the play developing. They decided to run a uh, a QB option on first and ten, and uh, just saw him just saw him wide open there on the side, and was hoping Mahomes was going to take it himself, but he didn't. So Williams ended up with like seven uh, seven yards on that carry. Yeah, I have to tell the listeners, Antonio just looked at me, and this is this is early on, right? We got the full spread out. Pizzas are about to be ordered. Way too much food for the five or so people that were hanging out watching a Super Bowl. Looks at me, just dead dead in his eyes, takes a big old baguette, scoops a bunch of buffalo chicken on top, and is like, it's going to be one of those <laughs> nights, I guess. And and we were off and running. You, you lost that one. But, but recovered. recovered. Absolutely. Uh, got my Chiefs minus one, got my Mahomes MVP, and got my Kittle uh, under 70.5 thanks to the Zebras throwing the uh, the offensive pass interference flag. A horrendous call. But you, you did get it, so congratulations <laughs> there. Uh I I thought the refs were actually pretty good to this game overall. That was probably the most debatable call on the night. At, but based on the 49ers' uh, lack of urgency, I don't really think it ultimately changed uh, the course of the game too much. But that was an iffy call. Um, like I said, I had Mahomes uh, and the Chiefs minus one. Uh, thanks to... A flurry of late Jimmy Garoppolo incompletions and interceptions. I hit the uh, Jimmy Garoppolo over 29.5 attempts. He ended up uh, 20 of 31. So so you um, got that with the last possession when they were down by by 11 at that point. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That's yeah, he, uh, he, he throws incomplete and then a, a actually really great pick by uh, Kendall Fuller uh, on the final play there to essentially seal it. But uh um. Yeah, uh, I gotta say though, I to for that one to hit, it still didn't. The game didn't go how I anticipated. My thought on that was the Forty Niners would be behind, and I guess they ultimately ended up being behind, and that's how this one cashed. But I thought it would be for a lot longer, prolonged period of time. Uh, I did not see a uh, Shanahan Part Two happening. I guess <laughs> necessarily. Um, <laughs> But uh, the other, so two I just missed on, uh, Damian Williams under 3.5 receptions. Uh, luckily, he got four, so that's a loser. And um, we didn't talk about this. Did you guys think that was a touchdown at all? I don't really know, but. Tough to say. It was never going to be overturned, basically, yeah, whatever right. call they'd made. So, yeah. uh, I was fine with them not overturning it because I think that would have just created more controversy. Versus now, I don't really think many people have even talked about that particular play. And then one that hurt me that was going so good for so long. Raheem Mostert, longest rush under 14.5 yards. He went for like 11 in the first half, and he was sitting on 11 all day. And uh, Tim, this was to your point that the 49ers' greatest running success, at one point, um, uh, our our boy uh, Debo Samuel was uh, their leading rusher. And at one point... uh, Kyle Husechek was their leading receiver um, in this game, uh, which is just kind of weird offense. But second to last drive for the 49ers after they go down 24-20, they start with a 17-yard Raheem Mostert run. Pretty much their last run of the game, basically. <laughs> and, and that uh, that busted that one. He had been under, he had been at 11 and under 14.5. 
the whole game until that point and uh, lost it lost it right in the last two minutes there or uh three two a bit 250 i guess but yeah speaking of that first of all i didn't get san fran plus one obviously um Mostert did have the rushing touchdown for the San Francisco 49ers, which I nailed at minus 150. They also had four sacks. Over two and a half sacks was plus 130. Nailed that as well. They were after Mahomes all night, uh, creating pressure even when they weren't getting to him. And then a man we haven't mentioned yet. Seventh all-time in regular season wins. Sixth all-time in playoff wins. Finally has his Super Bowl. Mr. Andy Reid, and was just elated. I, I mean, the the one thing that I haven't heard talked about a ton from listening to or watching Sports Center, listening to different radio shows, podcasts, what have you. He looked like he was just having so much fun when the final whistle went. That like he was a kid in a candy store. The dream had finally been achieved. It was a weight lifted off his shoulder. It was a really cool moment. I mean, he that is the most pure joy. I've seen out of a head coach after a Super Bowl win, I think, ever. Maybe I'm just used to Belichick, who barely smiles now <laughs> because he's won so many. But if you listen to last week's podcast, I threw out a pretty a pretty nice prop bet, one that I really enjoyed, one that I probably would have had a fiver on if I was a gambling man. Andy Reid to eat a cheeseburger on the broadcast before the end of the broadcast. Plus 12 Hundred, meaning if you bet a hundred, you win twelve hundred bucks. Should the bet come through, Andy Reid did not get his cheeseburger, unfortunately. But on NFL Network after the game, this comes from uh, I believe this comes from USA Today, Jace's Jace's company over there. They wrote up an article. Reid joined NFL Network after the game and said he wanted to celebrate by getting quote the biggest cheeseburger you've ever seen. Might be a double. <laughs> Which PR man for the Kansas City Chiefs failed to get that man a cheeseburger before the broadcast? That is your moment. Sponsored by Burger King. Sponsored by, I don't know, TGA Fridays, Applebee's. Whoever you want to ma- to pay the NFL millions of dollars to get Mr. Reed his double cheeseburger. That's all he <laughs> wanted. That's all he wanted. And that's all I would have wanted if I would have put money on that as well. Uh, just to cap off. The joy for Mr. Andy Reid, obviously, but but then to make some gamblers very happy as well, because that would have been a great moment. That would have been more gifable than Shakira doing the tongue flicking thing at the halftime show. <laughs> it would have been incredible. And and some intern or PR guy was too busy trying to get these post game interviews at the Super Bowl <laughs> that he couldn't give Andy Reid a cheeseburger. And a nation mourns that we I, missed that moment. In Super Bowl history. We know he definitely had one because I think he brought it up multiple times. I also saw a, a quote very similar to that uh, where he said uh, he wanted not only a double cheeseburger, but he also said, quote, extra cheese, <laughs> which double cheeseburger. Get this man his cheeseburger. <laughs> extra cheese on a double cheeseburger. That's now now we're now we're cooking with gas. There. Oh. But uh, yeah, I was happy for Andy Reid, man. Uh you know, I've obviously made fun of him over the years for things, and I, I don't think he's an infallible coach, but I mean, there are, at this point, the resume kind of speaks for itself. You said seventh all-time in regular season wins. Like, 
He's he's uh, over, uh, including playoffs. I read 222 wins now as an NFL head coach, and uh, he's 61, I believe, uh, possibly 62, 61, I believe, turning 62. And uh, this year, and he can coach for another five, six, seven, eight years if he wants. You know, Pete Carroll's 67, 68, Belichick's 67. So Reed's still a few years younger than them. So as long as he can. If he wants to, I and we'll talk about this, I think, ad nauseum in the offseason and who knows how many years we do this show because I think Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs are going to be around. Uh, so uh, it doesn't seem like the last to me, but, uh, you know, for a fan base that hadn't won a Super Bowl in 50 years, um, you know, you can't help but be happy for them and uh, their fans and stuff. And yeah, you you would say, and, why would you why would you leave that train when it's rolling right now? Right. I mean, th- this this has the makings of a dominant team for the next five years at least, maybe. Um, and just real quickly too, it's funny how the one Super Bowl win kind of washes away a lot of stuff, but I think for him, deservedly so. Uh, you know the all these time management things he's done, which some have been egregious, but they haven't been as bad as advertised because, you know, thanks to the internet, that's how that works nowadays. <laughs> uh, so I'm just, yeah, really happy for Andy Reid. And I think, I think a lot of people, I think everybody outside of San Francisco basically is elated that he finally got that Super Bowl. Yeah. I, I think he could have filed an injunction on your, on your bet, on your potential wager, because the, the <laughs> fact that the man wanted a cheeseburger and and then kept talking it, about he, one. He wanted to to have one, but they couldn't get him one. That's not on him. Uh, and you could file, you know, a desire clause or something like that, where that should have <laughs> that should have covered your twelve. Maybe like plus six hundred. You split. Yeah. Right, split the difference. One patty as opposed to the double patty. There you go. And you split it right in half. Uh, last points on this uh, on the Super Bowl, guys. Before we move on, my my one thing is I love Andy Reid, and you know what I love about him? He went for it on fourth down twice. Yep. The 49ers did not, in cases where they could have, and, and, and taken control of that game. Uh, and the Chiefs did on fourth and one on two different scoring drives. Uh, go Andy Reid, go Chiefs. You know, it's not the Ravens, but uh, I like I like him getting it. And it was a, if any team, you know, it just sounds so ridiculous, but if any team was going to win it, I was sort of happy to see the Chiefs get one after 50 years. Yeah, and uh, as we said, no Ravens, uh team in this but a former raven we haven't mentioned we should say terrell suggs two-time super bowl champion now happy for him he didn't do uh a ton necessarily in this game he did end up with a quarterback hit i believe but uh you know uh, gets another ring goes on the resume and uh not that he has i i i thought if he didn't play this season he was probably already a hall of famer but just another you know check on the old resume for him so uh Get some nice hardware for it. And uh, he had a great chain on. Uh, he was on Scott Van Pelt uh, or on SportsCenter sitting with uh, Boomer and Teej and Randy Moss and Steve Young on the SportsCenter set there. Had a huge chain he claimed his son made or, quote, possibly stole. He says something he said. <laughs> Never change, Sizzle. Never change. Verdict's still out on where the chain came from, I guess. But, uh, yeah, I'm happy for Terrell Suggs. Love Terrell Suggs. Glad he got it right. We're shocked at how many plays he was on the field for, to be quite honest. But Tim, any uh, last thoughts on the Super Bowl? No, no. Um, only thing is, I'm incredibly sad that football is over. That's the end of football. Although, spoilers, 
I may be going to a professional football game this weekend. Fight you from talking about this, and we may have to talk about it on next week's pod, like a raven. Go DC Defenders. Cardale Jones, we ain't come to play school. Yeah, Cardale Jones, exactly. One and the same, the starting quarterback for your DC Defenders. Last uh, last note to to go over here. That's going to be slightly Super Bowl related. Is this week's what's bothering Jace? Uh, Jace, I know you got something for us. What uh, what grinded your gear from uh, uh, from this Sunday? It's just Super Bowl commercials, Antonio. I don't understand why people care about these. We don't care about commercials in any other aspect of our lives. They're just on to pay the bills for these stations in between what we actually want to watch. But people care a lot, and I, I guess I like I've never people who say I watch the Super Bowl for the commercials. I'm doing like everything but watching the commercials during commercials, and maybe that's a product of you know my job. I think I've learned to block commercials out because you're always working while these sporting events are going on, but you're especially working when the sporting event is not happening. <laughs> That's the prime time to get the most amount of work done is when you're like, I can fully not pay attention to what's going on because I'm not going to miss anything. But I've just never been a huge fan of commercials. I don't get celebrating commercials. People just trying to sell you stuff. The most egregious, obviously, being uh, Tom Brady's Hulu ad that he teased earlier this week that caused a news cycle of is Tom Brady retiring? Is he walking towards the camera? Is he walking towards the field? Turns out it doesn't matter. It's a Hulu has live sports commercial. Uh that he was teasing. So we're all fools is what I say for caring about this. And uh, yeah, I'm just not a big Super Bowl commercials guy. I get that we have to have them, but that companies pay, you know, two, three, four million dollars for these things astounds me. Like hashtag baby nut. Like, what are we doing? I don't understand any of this. <laughs> it's all very confusing. I, I don't know. It's just frustrating. And I wish I don't know if there's like. If the NFL was just like, pay pay us $5 so you don't have commercials, and it's just we keep the feed on what's going on in the stadium like they do on, like, you know, NBA League Pass or whatever, I'd be like, sign me up. I'll pay 5 bucks for that. That'd be great. <laughs> A few minutes uh, against consumerism from, from Jace T. Evans. <laughs> I think the most egregious one, the one you didn't even talk about, is Google tried to make it okay that they've heard literally everything that you've ever uh, said to them yes. by trying to by trying that. to turn it into this tear jerking like I, I need to remember these moments of my late wife. Uh, I don't like it. It was everybody in, at our respective Super Bowl party started cringing at that. Like you don't got, make me br- bummed out that Alzheimer's is a thing to excuse Google just listening to everybody's conversation. Exactly, <laughs> Jason. Uh, Thirty seconds on the, on the halftime show. What did you think? What do you think of that? Just while we're uh, oh boy, well, that was well, fantastic. <laughs> it's a family show. Thirty Jace. seconds, Jace. Thirty seconds only. Um, I thought it was great. Uh, overwhelming at times, perhaps a word <laughs> you can use. Uh, no, yeah, I thought it was pretty good. Um, I will absolutely not be stunned if we delve right back into classic rock next year. Uh, with the game in Tampa, a little more, you know, conservative city, perhaps. Uh, I'm sure they've gotten complaints about this performance, but I've enjoyed it. I thought it was good. And I did realize I only know a few Jennifer Lopez songs and only a few Shakira songs. So that is a problem. And also all the other guest artists that weren't Shakira or Jennifer Lopez. I'm just, I guess, not 
up on who these guys are. So I wasn't fully aware of some of the other special guests they had. So that didn't move me one way or the other. But yeah, I thought like choreography was cool. And I certainly remembered it more than I don't. Who was last year? Was it like. No idea. It Maroon was, 5 yeah, or something? Or at least it was? the, uh, the leads, uh, Adam Levine. Yeah. I'm not actually sure if all, all of the five of the Maroon, <laughs> Maroon 5 was Maroon 1. But uh, yeah, I would agree with you, Jace. We, we enjoyed it, I think. We got some questions from our significant others that seemed to be unfair questions at the time. Unfair. About, Completely unfair. You know, what we liked about the halftime show as it was happening to us. I liked the sort of pacing well, of it. I thought, I thought it was... Um, yeah. Electric, really. They they move yep. at a rapid rate, which I always appreciate. I'm just gonna. We'll just end this conversation here with uh, Mike Wilbon, who tweeted out during the halftime show. Mike Wilbon of of ESPN, and pardon the interruption if you don't know who he is. Quote: Best Super Bowl halftime show ever, <laughs> by far. And I'm a Prince fanatic, but this is unequaled. Lordy got his attention dot 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 <laughs> lordy is is the word he lordy. used to describe it so that's, I that's that. accurate i enjoyed another good reaction well you mentioned obviously shakira gave us an instant meme uh that was all over the tl after she dropped the tongue thing uh so enjoyed that that was some good jokes on twitter.com uh the other one i the other reaction i enjoyed was uh uh, reigning and probably future uh, league MVP of the NBA, Giannis Antetokounmpo. I mean, I'm pulling it up here so I uh, get his exact words uh, here. Um, oh, man, this guy tweets a lot. Halftime show almost got me in trouble. Crying emoji. <laughs> so Same. En- yeah. Enjoyed, th- enjoyed that from our good friend Giannis. I know the feeling, uh, Giannis. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, no, I thought it was good, and like you said, pacing songs. I just wish I knew more of the songs, honestly. But I'm gonna miss. Uh, it was good. I'm gonna miss the NFL for the next seven, eight months, however it is. But uh, oh, I'm already so sad we'll have, about we'll it. Have a bunch of like off-season thinking. things to talk about, but that's uh, that's it. Chiefs, Super Bowl winners, first time in 50 years. We got to move on from it now. Get to some of our other uh, our other segments, and and one that we want to talk about is our random Raven for this week. Tim, you're up. Giving us uh, some clues, and we'll try to see if we can guess who this guy is. Preview that that Tim gave us a was it a seven out of ten on the on the random scale? I think so, but I also think this is one that Jace is just going to pull right out of his melon. Like I always feel that I, I went through about nine to ten of these today, trying to find one that was just incredibly random, um, and then it scaled it back just a bit. So here we go. Here are your five clues. He was drafted in the fourth round of the two thousand five NFL draft. Fourth round, 2005. Oh, that's he, some time ago. He only also probably a bad draft. <laughs> he only played for the Ravens and Rams in his career. He only started one game in his rookie season, but in the following three seasons with Baltimore, he started all but four games on the Ravens offense. When he left Baltimore for St. Louis in 2009, he agreed to a five-year deal worth $37.5 million, including $20 million in guaranteed money. The deal would make him the highest-paid center in the NFL. Yeah, Jace knew it. I I knew this. I think I got it. And number five, he chose to walk away from football in 2012 at the age of 29 to become a farmer in North Carolina. He maintains a thousand acre farm called First Fruits Farm, where he grows produce such as sweet potatoes and cucumbers. 
He donates these crops to local food pantries, having given away over 100,000 pounds of cucumbers and 10,000 pounds, or excuse me, of sweet potatoes and 10,000 pounds of cucumbers. He began learning about farming practices in 2012 by watching YouTube videos. And I know that was a random clue, so I'll give you a sixth one if you need it. He was drafted out of North Carolina and wore the same number as Jeff Mitchell and Eugene Monroe. Two other random Ravens there. So, there you go. I'm going to probably let uh, let Jace take this one when we get to it, because I, huh, I think maybe the offensive line is one of my weaker... Uh, my weaker points. I have no idea who the number is with you naming those those two guys. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, That's bad. I'm far away from this one. But yeah. farming. Learn about it on YouTube. It's it's just that simple. Yeah. Uh, if it's who I think it is, I did not know this about this guy. Me neither until I did some research. And then I said, this guy has to be my random raven now. <laughs> yeah, that's fascinating. So we will, uh, we'll have Tim reveal that at the end of the episode. But for now, let's move on to some awards that were given out Sunday night. A couple of big ones couple of ones we've never seen as Ravens fans. <laughs> uh, let's start with uh, the coaching staff. First of all, our assistant coach, who did not get hired to be a head coach anywhere, Praise won be. assistant coach of the year, Greg Roman, our offensive coordinator. Thoughts on him taking the hardware? Thoughts on him somehow not having a head coaching job, even though he was the best assistant this past year? Yeah, real quickly, <laughs> thank God. Go ahead, Jace. Yeah, no, I'm completely. I'm, I think the most important step probably for this team is him coming back because I think, not to bring up Joe Flacco yet again, I, but I think one of the more maligned parts of, uh, or not maligned, but underrated parts of Flacco's time here is how constantly the offensive coordinators changed in the post Cam Cameron world. Uh, and then that was obviously. Your offensive coordinator's Cam Cameron for four and a half years, so that was a problem in and of itself. But then, you know, you go through Jim Caldwell, and he leaves for a job, and they have that great 2014 with Gary Kubiak, and then he leaves for a job. Mark Trestman was the offensive coordinator briefly. Uh, so I think just keeping that continuity and building off of what the Ravens built this year is important. And it's hard to disagree, I think, with Roman being named the top offensive or the top assistant coach of the year, you know, his offense set the all time record in rushing and did unprecedented things. Um, Led the league in scoring over 33 points a game. Uh, Obviously need to figure it out come playoff time, but I think he had an excellent year, all things considered. And it seemed like he pushed, I mean, you win 12 straight games and, do it mostly through the strength of your offense. I think he just pushed all the right buttons. So I think he's a worthy choice. I don't know who else it would have been. Probably Jay, she dug the the knife just real deep into the chest with the has to figure it out come playoff time. But we have a whole <laughs> off season to, to to sort that stuff out. The other no use running from the past. <laughs> the other uh, coach award. I'll just leave it at that. It was the head coach of the year, John Harbaugh, taking it for the first time. I was actually surprised. Tim and I had a conversation about this, I want to say a month to to six weeks ago, where I actually thought Shanahan was going to take this. Uh, But it's Harbaugh. By a wide margin, Shanahan ended up being second, uh, the 49ers head coach. Maybe they were just prepared. Maybe the 28-3 stain was just never going to get him a head coach of the year award. But Harbaugh takes it. I think he's he's not the offensive coordinator. He's not the defensive coordinator. I think he wins this for... 
adapting to change, adapting to his personnel, and, and winning 14 games and leading the league in, in wins uh, this year. What are you guys' thoughts on, on Harbaugh taking coach of the year? Yeah, that's the biggest thing. Um, his his willingness to adapt and change. Uh, you know, most guys in the league are all we talk like the old stubborn coach stuck in his ways, never wants to change anything. This has won him a lot of games. You, you know, you job security, obviously you always want to take the conservative route. Harbaugh threw all that out the window. He believed in the guy we're going to talk about next. They built an offense. He was willing to build an offense around him. He was willing to listen to not only his players, but to now analytics guys, as we've talked about a number of times in, in, going for fourth downs, taking more risks, seeing when the win probabilities are in your favor and taking advantage of that. Um, and I think because of that, and, and he's just, we talk, kind of talked about like the legacy award with the Super Bowl MVP uh, as it's like almost like a season thing as well. I don't necessarily agree that that's always the thing for the coach of the year, but just for what Harbaugh's done for this franchise from 2008 onwards, um, I'm, I'm really glad that he's finally getting some recognition uh, in that department of, of coach of the year. It's kind of fascinating too, just in how fast things can change in the NFL. Cause I think it's easy to forget that Harbaugh was seemingly on the hot seat slash nearly fired in October of 2018. Uh, and here we sit in, uh, you know, January or now February of 2020. And, uh, he's the coach of the year. And I think deserved, I mean, uh, exactly for the reasons you said, he, uh, was willing to adapt and change, and he led the team to, you know, their most successful season in franchise history in terms of, you know, uh, total wins and points and by pretty much every metric. Uh, so, yeah, I think he's a worthy choice. Um, likewise, I didn't think about him winning this award much. I don't know. It just never crossed my mind that he would get it because, you know, I was looking last night, actually, like, if you had to guess, how many times has Andy Reid been named the NFL Coach of the Year? I'll go once. Yep, one time in 2002. Uh, so it's just, it's kind of rare that the top coach, and I haven't even looked if Belichick's even won it, but it's kind of a strange award. But I think for what Harbaugh did for this season and just kind of a accumulation too for him of like the turnaround and the the style divergence that he led with this team and basically oversaw and allowed to happen in some ways, uh, yeah, I think he's a worthy choice, so I was happy to see him win it. And then the final award, we'd been talking about it seemingly from halfway through the season. Uh, by week 15, 16, 17, he was the runaway choice, and he won this award unanimously. Lamar Jackson taking league MVP. It's crazy to hear. We're, we're not used to offensive <laughs> players on the Ravens doing much of anything, frankly, besides running the ball, I guess. Uh and Lamar takes MVP, <laughs> the second unanimous winner since the award's been given out. However, second place in Offensive Player of the Year falling to Saints wide receiver, falling maybe not the right word, but to Saints wide receiver Michael Thomas. Thoughts on, on the Offensive Player of the Year award, and then thoughts on Lamar just being the MVP and, and cornerstone of the Ravens for the next five to ten years. Yeah, well, well let's hope. M- more so to the ten, I'd be cool right. with that. Um <laughs> Offensive player of the year, they do this all the time. They give it to somebody else who isn't the MVP, so whatever. I don't. It doesn't bother me in the slightest. I think it's very cool that he was the unanimous guy. Um, I don't think he would be unanimous if Mahomes wasn't hurt for a couple, couple of games. Um, I'm surprised 
there wasn't one curmudgeonly reporter or player or coach who didn't vote for him because they still think he's a running back. That shocks me. But really, really cool to have that sort of honor, the unanimous part of it as well, because we knew this was coming for a while. Um, Look, we've waxed poetic about Lamar all year. I don't need to do it anymore. And trust me, I I hope we get to continue to do that into the next season and beyond. Um, I will just say, if you haven't seen them, the Baltimore Ravens and the NFL put together, each one put together videos kind of commemorating his season. Um, The Ravens one in particular is very good, where their kids are reading out letters that they wrote to him and stuff. Um, If you're a Ravens fan and you need to feel a little better, because trust me, it really hit me when the Super Bowl kicked off and I went, oh, God, we should be here. Um, Watching those on a loop will will really uh, help a little bit, help a little bit. Um, I was a little surprised, to be honest, that he was unanimous. Um, I thought Russell Wilson would probably get snag a few votes. I, I thought he had a very good year. And there seemed like there was still a contingent of people who were kind of, uh, you know, at, not adamant, but very. It seemed like there were a lot of pro Russell Wilson people out there. But then when push came to shove, yeah, Lamar is, you know, whenever you can join uh, Tom Brady as the uh, the only other quarterback uh to do something and win an mvp unanimously unanimously even uh you know Peyton manning never won a unanimous mvp it's kind of hard to believe um i read a crazy thing that lamar now has more total mvp votes than drew Brees has earned in his career which is astounding um so uh yeah i mean like you guys said i certainly Never foresaw a Ravens quarterback winning the league MVP award, and, but I think it was deserved. You know, I mean, we don't we've talked a lot, but all time top rushing season by a quarterback ever uh, led the NFL in touchdown passes. Like it was, it was an incredible year, and uh, I'm glad he was rewarded for it. And, but I hope it's just uh, we saw you know last year Patrick Mahomes win the MVP fall fall short. Uh, Hopefully next year, minus any injury scares, we get the uh, perhaps the Ravens go eleven and five, uh, but uh, are playing on Super Sunday, maybe. Hopefully, <laughs> so, I'm already talking myself into it uh, the last few days here, so I'm riding, I'm riding high on that. Um, but then in terms of offensive player of the year, like Tim said, they're, they're always going to make this basically the uh, the non quarterback uh, MVP, essentially. Uh, is what the Offensive Player of the Year awards turned into. Uh, so Michael Thomas, you know, he broke the single-season receptions record, so I was cool with him uh, winning that award. Um, it's at least a recognition he wouldn't have otherwise gotten, so um, I was cool with that. Chase, you talk about 11-5, and five, just road wins all day, and, uh, <laughs> and then they play in, in Tampa in the Super Bowl. Yeah, you listen, a lot of things fell right for this Ravens offense this year. I mean, they were sort of the new kids on the block. Uh, Lamar Jackson did so many things, multiple five passing touchdown games, which I don't think anybody ever expected him to do once in his career, much less multiple times in a season. So I'll take the MVP now, and then next season let's focus on uh, on playoff on playoff wins, and, and <laughs> we'll take the individual accolades second to the playoff wins. So the last thing we want to talk about briefly is uh, just preview the offseason now. Some things that we're going to go over. We're not going to get into too many details this week because obviously we got we have time to talk about it now. But I want to quickly ask you guys just sort of free agent thoughts, draft thoughts, Ravens needs 
as we uh, as we turn to the offseason. Yeah, I'll take a Ravens one because I feel uh, I have a feeling Jace wants to talk general NFL. Um, here are some players that are pending free agents for the Ravens uh, this offseason. Jimmy Smith, Brandon Carr, rest his soul, Michael Pierce, Patrick Owasso, Anthony Levine, Pernell McPhee, Damata Pecco, Josh Bynes, uh, Jelly Ellis, Giad Ward, who played very well for us, and Matthew Judon. All of those players are defensive players. All of those players are guys who had significant time on this defense. Obviously, some of these guys will be retained. Obviously, some of them will not. Um, the How they remake, retool, and improve this defense on the fly, I think is going to be very interesting. And how they go after, maybe go after some guys in free agency. Uh, as we record this on Monday evening, Vic Beasley from the uh, Atlanta Falcons was cut today. A guy that eighth overall pick when he was drafted, kind of underperformed, but people are saying maybe not in the right system. Expect DaCosta and Ozzy, because he does still have a little bit of an influence, to kind of find those guys to help build this defense, I would say. Tim, of that list of players defensively, I think the vast majority are going to be gone. Yeah, I, I would agree. And I would even add, I think Tony Jefferson yeah. is, is at risk. I think he's got a big, a relatively big cap hit, and if they cut him, they could save, I want to say it's like five to seven. It's Chuck Clark time, million somewhere. And I I mean, I love Tony Jefferson. It's, it's a shame that his last game with the Ra- with the Ravens was cut short because of injury. Um, but I see them really, really retooling the, the defense really top to bottom. And I think of the starting 11, five to six to, uh, of those starters are going to be different players uh, next season. Yeah, I completely agree with that. It'll be fascinating on that side of the ball. Uh, broad picture NFL, um, what I think is fascinating to me is just the amount of free agent quarterbacks we have. Uh, obviously, the the name that'll draw the most attention is Tom Brady, who, uh, you know, free agent for the first time in his career. Notable. Um, uh, but some other guys out there, Phil Rivers, who's moved to Florida, um, without currently being employed by anyone. He's also a free agent. So some people are speculating that could mean he's playing for a Florida team, perhaps. Um, uh, Cause another team whose QB is free agent is our good friend of the show, Jameis Winston, uh, who led the NFL at all manner of uh, statistics this season. Don't look up which ones. Um, and so there's just a ton of guys. It's uh, those are like the biggest names, but It'll be fascinating to see how the QB dominoes kind of fall this offseason. And I believe Patrick Mahomes now, completing his third season, is eligible for an extension. I read up to $220 million possibly. It could be a number uh, people are looking at. But I think he's worth every penny of that, probably. But uh, we're getting a monster Mahomes deal probably, too, in the next few months, I would guess. Um that might kind of reset the market. And then either he's not even a free agent, but you know, Matt Stafford's name has been floated out in trade rumors. And so if that happens, that's a whole other that you know, that might have draft ramifications if the lions are taking. So it'll be fascinating to see what ends up with all these quarterbacks. Uh, safe bet. Tom Brady's still going back to the Patriots, but you never know. Has Matt Stafford beat a playoff team on the road in his career yet? Or are we still, are we still waiting? Uh, no, play, no playoff wins. Uh, oh, oh, you mean just, just against playoff, playoff teams in the regular yes. season? Yeah, probably not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Every time they show that stat, it's way worse than I think it's going to be. <laughs> well, we will be here every week of, of the offseason to talk to you guys about Ravens updates, news and notes, 
players movement. And, DC and defenders. I'm gonna fight that every minute. We'll give what's bothering Jace this week will be me talking about that I'm mad that Tim is still talking about the DC defenders. But you'll have to jump on board, Antonio. XFL starts this weekend. It's XFL time. It's our time. It's not even a good team, man. What about the offense? <laughs> We're just focusing on the defense the whole time. But we'll be here to talk about the Ravens, talk about the NFL, uh, and watch as they as the Ravens just retool and, and get better and better to, to take home the Lombardi Trophy next season. Tim, last thing left. Mm-hmm. we got to go over this random raven that I've gotten no closer to, so why don't you run through the clues one more time, and we'll let Jace take this one. All right, real quick. <laughs> drafted fourth round of the 2005 NFL Draft. Played for two teams in his career, the Ravens and the Rams. Started only one game in his rookie season, but in the following three seasons with Baltimore, he started all but four games in the Ravens' offense. So prominent along the offensive line. When he left for St. Louis in 2009, he agreed a five-year deal worth $37.5 million, $20 million of that guaranteed. The deal would make him the highest-paid center in the NFL. He chose to walk away from football in 2012 at the age of 29 to become a farmer, and he donates these crops to local food pantries, giving away over 100,000 pounds of sweet potatoes and 10,000 pounds of cucumbers uh, to local food banks and charities and things like that. Uh, I will I will help you out here a little bit. Drafted out of North Carolina, same number as Jeff Mitchell and Eugene Monroe, which is number 60. And the thing that might throw you off a little bit, he did not primarily play center for the Ravens. He moved around the interior of the offensive line a bit and then became a center. I believe the last season with Baltimore, he was primarily their center and then became the center for the Rams moving forward. He's the only thing I'm going to ask quickly. Does his first and last name start with the same letter? No. Jace, take it away. <laughs> I believe this to be Jason Brown. Oh. It is Jason Brown. Correct, my friend. Nice, nice. So not Chris Chester. Not Chris Chester, no. Oh, that's a not good one. Not a bad one. <laughs> He's on my list. I, I've, I've compiled a list now, and I won't tell you the rest of them, of random Ravens in the future, because, boys, we're getting into the weeds a bit on some yeah, of these guys. Yeah, I don't know. I have... I, all the ones I had had filed away, I've used to this point, so I'm going to have to start <laughs> Jason doing Brown. some thinking. That's a random. He, That's a random Raven. Would have never thought was, that that guy got that type of contract uh, leaving the Ravens. A classic. A good class, on him. Yeah, a classic guy who got just paid in the market after success with Baltimore. He was he, he was good for a number of years, though. I remember, um, I remember being a little bummed he left. Uh, because it seemed like they had something. I believe he was the center Flacco's rookie year, if I'm not mistaken. I think he was on that offensive line. Um, but, uh, yeah, I just remember him being pretty solid. So <laughs> That's going to do it for us. Any last uh, last things to say about this NFL season as we close up here? It was, it was um, amazing. Yeah, it was a great season. Uh, bitter end for our Ravens, but uh, the ride was very fun for the most part. It was a great ride, and then you just kind of threw up at the end in the walking off the the roller coaster. Uh. <laughs> the games, the games are done. Now it's time for DaCosta to to shine and and make the right moves. And we will be here next week to bring you news and notes on the Ravens and the NFL. Thanks for listening. For Tim Horsey and Jay Sevens, I'm Antonio Barbera. For Pod Like a Raven, we will see you next week.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.